0: Hello, my name is Justin DeClue, and I'm here today with Will Sloan, and you're listening to The Important Cinema Club, and today we're talking the coolest filmmaker (laughs) around, Jim Jarmusch.
1: That's right, the king of New York. Can I begin with a personal anecdote about Jim Jarmusch? Do it. So the first one I ever saw was Coffee and Cigarettes. I was 15 years old, it was in 2004, and I saw it because I was with my late uncle Ted God rest his soul. And we were going to go see Fahrenheit nine 11 and it was sold out. (laughs) It was sold out everywhere. Yep. And we had, we were at the movie theater and we were going to see something else. And I said, Oh, how about coffee and cigarettes? Bill Murray's in it. Now my uncle Ted, I love ghostbusters. I swear to you, my uncle Ted watched Walker, Texas Ranger every day. He watched Magnum PI every day on reruns, had no idea what he was getting into. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm painting, I'm painting a stereotypical picture of, of a man with, with, taste that is not Jim Jarmusch movies Mm -hmm. we watched the movie when it was over he said to me that was the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. I can't believe you dragged me to that. That was so boring. Nothing happened in that. And for years, until his passing, he would bring up coffee and cigarettes wow. as, as this incredible. I mean, he was, by the end, he was joking, but yeah. he was mad that day.
0: But did you want to be like, I do not know what the movie was?
1: Yeah. And, and I, I was, but that began, I think, for me, a, an interest in Jim Jarmusch.
0: Oh, like, because you're like, if you didn't like it that much,
1: I want. I want. I, I. think I kind of wanted to spite him at that point. It's like I'm gonna get really into Jim Jarmusch. So I did when I was a teenager. And I uh, never got yeah. into Jim Jarmusch. Yeah. Did you like him at all? Like, what? What's your experience? Which I ones like him, have you seen?
0: But I. have seen almost all of them. Yeah. But it's not someone I feel very passionate about. But and I, when I see people feel passionate about him, I go, that's nice. You know what, Jim? Is it Jim Jarmusch or Jim Jarmish?
1: I always get it wrong. I believe it is Jarmish. All right. There we
0: go. Jarmish from now on until I make a mistake and say a different way yeah his movies like when i saw them i felt the the feeling of like oh yeah he's the cool kid
1: (laughs) that's who it is yeah 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 and it's like the more now that appeals to me not
0: to me Okay. (laughs) so it's the difference between me and you (laughs) yeah i'm already cool so i don't need to hang out with the
1: cool kids (laughs) right right whereas me i'm aspiring to be cool
0: (laughs) yeah exactly but you know you watch his movies even today and you understand like oh i know what he was giving people
1: that they didn't have well we had the man who understood us, Kevin Smith. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Kevin Smith. Well, did you know that Kevin Smith, of course, in the credits of Clerks, thanks, yeah, he thanks Jim Jarmish for leading the way.
0: <laughs> there you go. Jim Jarmish doesn't have like a crack where he like put down Kevin Smith at some point in his career.
1: There, there's a Jonathan Rosenbaum article where he mentions that Kevin Smith was quoted as saying words to the effect of, I don't really feel like I need to see the European masters because people like Jarmish have seen them for me and I'm kind of getting them through him, mm. which I, I'm sure Jarmish was thrilled to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well maybe he was but i gotta say I, I it's been a while since i've watched any of these movies so i was very happy to reimmerse myself in them This do week. you
0: feel because you spent too much time with them that's another thing is i felt like anytime i would walk into a video store they'd be sitting there right at the front because they're the go-to like they like built the criterion brand like, well he
1: was definitely like in the 1980s when you know The Spielbergs and the Lucas just ran the show. In that commercial era of your Stallones and Schwarzeneggers, he was one of the, you know, one of the arthouse guys, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the brands.
0: But he always felt to me like one of the top shelf arthouse guys. Mm -hmm. He didn't have that kind of like... Grungy fighter stuff, especially later on in his career. We'll talk about it. Wait How would you it?
1: define a grungy fighter or house guy? Mm, uh,
0: I'd have to, uh, you know, off the top of my head, I know Jarmush is not that guy. Okay, okay. Where, like, I watch his later film, it's like, oh, it's a parade of his famous friends coming in and doing this okay, stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And that's what I don't bounce off of it because I think Dead Man is very good. Mm. But, like, watching it, I was like, would I enjoy this more if it wasn't a parade of famous people? Probably not because no one would be talking about it, right?
1: Do I sense a certain Certain resentment towards Jarmish? Not or, at all. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm very
0: happy that he can do his stuff and put it out there. There's no resentment there or like ah, that pretentious. You know, I I watch his stuff, especially Stranger Than Paradise, and I'm like, man, this is good. But what's funny about Jarmish is he jumped to basically like a mainstream level pretty fast, where he could kind of do what he wanted to do with his famous friends.
1: Well, reimmersing myself in the movies this week, I was interested to find that I think I like them more than ever, mm-hmm. and reading about him and reading his interviews, I feel a great admiration for how he's conducted his career. And I I think there is, you know, some parallel between, you know, what the movies themselves say, and the way that he has tried to Mm -hmm. live his career and make his art. Can I read a quote from Film Comment, an interview that he gave right after Stranger Than Paradise in 1984? Somebody the the interviewer was asking, you're probably getting calls from the majors at this point. He said, yes. But then he said, and I'm quoting, I don't really have a desire to work in Hollywood, even though now I have the opportunity, which a lot of people spend their whole lives waiting for and don't get. It feels a little strange to have people offering me a lot of money, but to direct things that are like, you know, Porky's remakes. My only (laughs) aspiration is to be able to keep working, to be able to pay my rent and have to worry about money. That's really my biggest ambition. And I think he's really lived his politics. I, I, think I agree. He's, he's consistently made movies that in their way have expressed that kind of politics. Yeah.
0: And you never get a sense watching any of these films that he's making them because he feels he needs to make them or he needs to chase something or deliver something to a studio of some kind.
1: Yeah, I think he's definitely expressing. Well, y- you see a, a pretty consistent like personality in these movies like he's very interested in america and he's affectionate towards america but he's often you know from a sort of like left field angle or like he likes to look at america through outsider perspectives mm-hmm. like you know there are a lot of foreign characters in his movies like roberto benigni and night on earth or uh, the hungarians and stranger than fiction or even like the british vampires and only lovers yeah. left or the like alive.
0: mystery train there's yeah. an italian yeah. tourist there's japanese tourists absolutely absolutely and like I think he's sort of... <laughs> now, but Or is that because he's like, I want to tell these stories of people just hanging out, not doing too much, but we need to bring them from different places to give it a fresh spin. I mean,
1: he does love stories of people not doing too much. Yeah. And it was interesting. I was looking at Roger Ebert's review of Ghost Dog. Yeah. And he begins it by saying, it helps to understand that the hero of Ghost Dog, the way of the samurai, is crazy. And... That's interesting. Like, okay. From some perspectives, maybe. Yes. But I don't think Jarmish would agree with that. No, I think Jarmish
0: would say, well, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but that... I'll speak for him. Yeah, <laughs> that the protagonist of Ghost Dog is doing what he believes is right and sticking to these kind of principles, and so that makes him an interesting character. Like, anyone watching the movie knows that he should be respectful to some guy who saved him accidentally at some point well it's like he's the last practitioner
1: of his code which seems a little strange in the middle of like modern day america yeah but then jarmish might probably say was is this the last sane man
0: Mm -hmm. now we don't have the ebert expert here matt singer of course but we have (laughs) will sloan and You, I know that, you know, Ebert's
1: takes on the director we're talking about today and they've been pretty negative, right? Well, it's funny. I mean, he's given positive or he had given positive reviews to almost all of them except, you know, Dead Man, which he hated. Really? And he was not alone in hating it at the time, which is odd. I mean, it's gone down as a classic, I think.
0: I mean, do they just feel, I guess, ripped off? of the movie they were presented when that's the whole point of the film
1: man i i don't know which
0: people are like oh that's why the dead don't die is good we'll get to that well, we'll <laughs> get to, yeah we'll get
1: to the dead don't die I, I do think though like i mean ebert likes most of the Jarmish movies but i do sense like in that one line from the ghost dog review l- look ebert is a sort of establishment figure yeah i say that as neutrally as possible he's he's a, a mainstream liberal in a mainstream liberal system Mm -hmm. and he's he's fine with society yeah and i think that jarmusch is fundamentally not fine with society yeah
0: and you so know. when Ebert sees these characters acting in these ways, he's like, why would they do that? Why would these slackers not just get yeah. a better job? And, I mean, not in yeah. those
1: exact words, but. And, and he, and that's interesting to him. Mm-hmm. And like, you can see in Jarmusch, like he's largely relied on like European financing and he's been able to make these movies largely because yeah, he does have these famous friends who will yeah, make Yeah, because he's
0: a cool guy. Yeah, because he's a cool guy. He spent 10 months in France, you know, which is something <laughs> yeah. I like, guess
1: before reading <laughs> yeah, his biography. Yeah, yeah. It's
0: like, oh yeah, there it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) Wait, did he study poetry in? Yeah, he studied poetry in university. Well, why don't we get a little bit into his biography? He grew up in Akron, Ohio. He was a middle class family. He left at 17, went to study in Chicago, I believe. In the mid 70s, he came to New York, studied at Columbia University. I think English literature, as you said, he Mm -hmm. spent a year in Paris where he went to the Cinematheque a lot. Back in New York, he went to CBGB a lot. You know, yep. he was one of those new wave guys. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. No wave. I mean, yeah, he I, he took a film class with Nicholas Ray. Yeah. So a very funny story. Like Nicholas Ray was his teacher and he, old one eye himself. And he turned in a script and Nicholas Ray said, I don't like this. Not enough happens in it. So he took the script back, rewrote it so that less happened in it. Mm-hmm. And he gave it to Nicholas Ray. And Nicholas Ray said, you know what? I like the cut of your gym. You know? <laughs> he, he liked that as a gesture. And so he brought Jarmusch on as his personal assistant on the last film that he made.
0: Yeah. And Jarmusch also worked with Vim Vendors on, on that film. Yeah. I it was the Antonioni one, right? Oh, it, maybe he did. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought it was the one that was the one that like Vim Vendors was helping, but maybe I'm getting li- lightning
1: over water. I mm. think Vendors helped Nicholas Ray on. Okay. So I'm confusing he made several charity films for old masters masters. you know that jarmish was classmates with spike lee at nyu i did not know that as well as his future wife sarah driver and his final year project was 1980s permanent vacation how's that movie well i didn't watch it it. it. it's the one i haven't seen okay yeah
0: so let's skip right to the one that made him his i guess fame
1: which is stranger than paradise how would you synopsize this movie and i do think it helps to go in cold a guy in new jersey is visited by his Hungarian
0: cousin. They spend some time together. She leaves. And then one year year later, later, (laughs) AKA that's the end of the short film that we shot. So now let's shoot some more to make this feature length. (laughs) They decide to go visit her. And then they decide to go to Miami. The end. Right. Oh, it is an O. Henry kind of twist at the end.
1: Yeah. And that's it. And much of the poetry of the film comes from the boredom, the Mm -hmm. stasis, and by and the poetry as well as the humor.
0: Yes. Now, I was watching this and I was thinking, why do I like this, but I don't like people doing this now? Uh-huh. And I think it has to do with the weight of... The kind of style they're using, the equipment that you're seeing this on grainy kind Mm. of black and white film and the expectations even of like what a movie is and it's not really giving it to you, but
1: all the performances feel very lived in. I mean, in the context of 1984, it's like, whoa, we haven't seen this before. Like 15 or 20 years before Mumblecore, Mm -hmm. which Mumblecore, like what do we associate the aesthetics of that as? It's like shaky camera, you know, really lo-fi digital.
0: I also find the actors in this film, which include John Lurie, good friends of Jim and the guy that plays. <laughs> Hang on. No, we can,
1: we can get his name. Uh... I know. I was, I knew
0: you were going to say it, but you know what I'm going to say, right? <laughs> yeah. Super Mario Brothers. Yes. <laughs> going from a Jim Jarmusch film to Super Mario Brothers. That's great.
1: Yeah. Right alongside Fisher Stevens. <laughs> that's um, right. As well as Esther Balint as mm-hmm. John Lurie's Hungarian cousin, who you may have noticed that she reappears in The Dead Don't Die many I, years I didn't, later. I was looking for her, I didn't spot She's her. She's the diner. Oh, uh, okay the yeah. woman who runs the diner who's killed early on.
0: <laughs> He's like not giving you a big role. Also, probably, arguably, my worst movie. Well, yeah, I think so. So, Strangers in Paradise. It won a bunch of
1: awards when it came out, right? Oh, yeah, and I mean the the. the gest- I was
0: talking about Richard Edson. <laughs> I was yeah. gonna find his name.
1: The gesture of making that movie or releasing it in 1984, when I mean it had been some time since I mean. Obviously, art films had been made all around the world, but there was a wave of movies, I think, in the early 1960s things like you know the Antonioni films or the Bergman films that
0: this isn't how movies are supposed
1: to be made exactly and you can imagine something like Stranger Than Paradise which flaunts every convention of how a Hollywood film is supposed to be there are a million scenes that do not lead to the next scene it's a movie entirely full of extraneous scenes Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: but if it's all extraneous doesn't it mean it all
1: matters another difference between it and like maybe some of the modern movies that you don't like as much is is like the rigor of its style Yeah. A series of static shots, all of them rather artfully composed, just long takes that fade out and then fade into the next shot mm-hmm. they're these discrete units and he has said that he was very under the spell at the time of Dreyer and Brasson. you know those transcendental style mm-hmm. european auteurs, and he wanted to make something as simple and pure and direct as those also
0: i didn't have enough money and this film stock costs a lot so let's do this at one take please <laughs> ladies and gentlemen
1: i'm sure and there's there's a funny sort of friction between like that style and the actors in the movie who are like you know What's a nice way to describe it? Layabouts? Layabouts, yeah. Yeah. Slackers, if you will. And the movie, like, doesn't judge them. No, and they're doing stuff that's not,
0: like, they're cheating and stuff, but it's fine. Like, they're just people going about their day. (laughs) Yeah. And they're not monsters either in the way that they're presented.
1: Yeah, and, like, they are frustrated and they're bored and they're kind of in a rut, but then... Jarmish doesn't necessarily think there's anything like it's not like a hero's journey of self actualization. Like, Mm. one sense is that Jarmish sort of sympathizes with their desire to be layabouts, Mm -hmm.
0: but Uh, he's too cool. He's got parties to go to at night. (laughs) Yeah, it's CBGB. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. The other thing I like about so much about Stranger Than Fiction is just the bleak landscapes of it all. Like, I think it is like an incredibly beautiful movie in a cold and austere way, even though there's absolutely nothing pretty about it. When they go to Cleveland, I mean, he said in interviews how attracted he is to these incredibly barren, post-industrial American landscapes. You see landscapes like that in so many of his films, like Down by Log, Ghost Dog, Only Lovers Left Alive later on, these hollowed out American cities. And, you know, he shows them like he doesn't necessarily revel in the ugliness, but he doesn't manufacture beauty either. It's
0: also a film that just understands how car trips work. Just sitting in the car, you're just driving. There's nothing like super dramatic happening maybe there'll be a little bit of an argument we'll keep going and the car trip just keeps trucking along
1: and the movie is like a absolute refusal to give you like any catharsis of like Okay. They're going to Florida. They're going to Florida. What are they going to do in Florida? And then when they get to Florida, they don't even go to Miami, which is where
0: (laughs) they want to go. They just go to a a motel somewhere. Yeah. Hey, they get to go down to the beach. There's something there, right? Yeah. So what do you think of like, cause he, he made down by law, which you know, he did with his famous friends, (laughs) Tom Waits,
1: Roberto Benigni, Roberto Benigni, life is beautiful himself. Yeah. And I want to make love to you all in a field. (laughs) So what was it that he said in his (laughs) Oscar speech? Yeah. (laughs) And then
0: he made mystery train night on earth and caught, And he was doing coffee and cigarette shorts as he was making these as well. But
1: then, like, Dead Man in 1995 is... I mean, Jonathan Rosenbaum described it as a quantum leap. It's certainly, I think, still in some ways his most ambitious movie. Mm. So, so what happens in this film?
0: Johnny Depp plays... Who a- is beautiful. Yeah, okay. At this time. A good man at this time. No I mean, problem. I
1: mean, his cheekbones.
0: Oh, my god. Yes. He plays... What happened? A man who travels very far to get a job. When he shows up, they say, you're too late. You don't have this job. So he ends up shacking up with... Wait, is she a sex worker or is it implied? I think think
1: it's implied that she's a sex worker. You know, he's come, he's he's a city slicker. He's Mm -hmm. come from the city to the old west. And in the process, he ends up murdering a man being shot himself. He kills him in self-defense. Yep. And that man, who is her, like, ex-fiancee, maybe, mm. is
0: the son of, ironically, the,
1: or uh, coincidentally, the man who hired him and didn't give him a job. Played by no less than Robert Mitchum, mm. who is the most powerful man in town. And he says, I want this guy dead. Every outlaw in town, every assassin, everyone, I'm going to pay the biggest bounty ever to kill this and man. By,
0: by that, I mean three guys mm-hmm. played by Lance Henriksen, Eugene Bird. And Michael
1: Wincott. So f- this is the first act of the movie. And then the next two acts are uh, a, a spiritual journey of sorts. I think it's ambiguous to what extent the Johnny Depp character, whose name, by the way, is William Blake. Mm-hmm. Uh, the poet? P- potentially. It's ambiguous from that point on to, to what extent he is alive or dead. He meets an indigenous man. Played by Gary Farmer. Named Nobody. Nobody who becomes his sort of spirit guide through the woods. And this indigenous man was once part of a carnival freak show. He was abducted by, you know, these white carnival barons, and he learned the ways of the white man. In so doing, also learned the devastation that they'd wrought upon the indigenous populations of America. And the two of them have a sort of clumsy, awkward, but affectionate cross-cultural friendship together as he's guiding them through the woods. And because the, uh, nobody knows so much about white culture, he knows that William Blake is a great poet. Mm-hmm. And he believes that the Johnny Depp character is some sort of manifestation or maybe the traveling soul of William Blake that he's guiding towards the afterlife. And in that process, the, he learns to kill, kill, kill! His, his poetry becomes the gun. Mm-hmm. And yet, the violence in the movie is not poetic.
0: Yeah, here's the thing. Is that like, this movie, for people who haven't seen it, The joke of it is that it's all played like some would say maybe every film Jim Jarmusch ever made, very flatly. Mm -hmm. It just happens, and that's it. And then we often move on or fade out.
1: Sometimes it'll just happen off screen. I find this movie difficult to talk about because it's one of those movies that like it's it could be saying everything and yet it doesn't say anything exactly. So much of the power of it comes from just the Western landscape. I mean, at the heart of it, there's a very obvious like interplay of like, so-called civilization and so-called barbarism and you know in the classic westerns right it's like the there's there are the white settlers who are bringing civilization to the west
0: but, yeah but what if the whites were the barbarians exactly. in the situation? and
1: that's what we very much see but it's like it's also not even quite as simple as that because all of this like chaos and barbarism is against this like vast western landscape it's almost as if like the white people are meddling in forces that they can't understand Mm -hmm. you know Um, almost as if
0: no i think it's it's like they are it it, it
1: is as if pardon the imprecision of my language
0: i wish i could feel as moved by this as you are or i've seen other people i think it's good Mm. i think that like it's funny Mm. and i think it's, it's tackling a lot of stuff but it just feels like Hey look, there's Iggy Pop. Oh goodness. Hey uh, hey, look, there's this
1: person. That's I, what I feel like. I mean, I love how he renders all of his famous friends as gargoyles.
0: Yeah, they all look like that. But like every person that comes on screen with somebody else that I was like Would you have liked it more if you'd if if you'd seen it like without those famous people? Yeah. I feel yes. Uh-huh. I think it would be a different film too. I think that the film is powerful because it is all these famous people, and you know, someone like Roger Ebert struggles against it so much because it comes under the veneer of a Hollywood production and that's not what it is well
1: i mean also it's a movie that much like stranger than paradise doesn't have the same catharsis and much like stranger than paradise not all of the scenes go in an orderly like a to b to c Mm. fashion like much of the like last two thirds of the movie are this like haze or this uh, kind of repetitive you know poem that you sort of walk into or you don't
0: yeah all behind neil young's music yeah. Strumming on the guitar, which, improvised.
1: Uh, Ebert, uh, not a fan. Fa- famously said, sounded like him dropping his guitar over mm. and over again, which I disagree with.
0: Now, what do you say of the famous, it's a true story that Rudy Wurlitzer, the writer of Tulane Blacktop, Jim Jarmusch took a script of his that they were working on together that had the theme, they just
1: made it his own. That's fine. It's I mean, fine. I mean, look, I, I I, don't know too much about that, but what I do know is just like the poetry of these images.
0: Yeah, what I would say about that is that sucks, if uh-huh. it's true, and it probably is, uh-huh. that he just, you oh, know, I'll just use this. But it is a Jarmusch film. I'm saying it's name different every time. <laughs> Throughout, like, I can't imagine somebody else making a movie in this way. Almost so uncommitted to any of the storytelling expectations you would have. I
1: mean, I'm not, I'm not surprised that it might've been inspired by some of the ideas of the writer of Tulane Blacktop Mm -hmm. because like much like, I mean, people have compared this movie to the acid Westerns of the early 70s. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like... The- I mean, I, uh, Jim was going around going like, I want to make a weird Western. And it's like, all right, Jim. And the fact that the hero's journey of this movie is not, you know, it's not the stagecoach mm-hmm. journey or, or something like that. It's somebody basically losing touch with, quote unquote, white civilization and achieving a sort of transcendence through, through nature, you know? Does he
0: achieve transcendence or is he just you know, lost even at the end of the movie? It's a good question. Folks, write in. in. No, Uh, don't write
1: in. Folks, I I never claim to be smart. I'm a a medium smart man at best.
0: And this is the thing about talking about this filmmaker's films. People love these movies. Like they love them throughout, which is why I've always been
1: like, Yeah, it's cool you guys love them. (laughs) Like, double thumbs up. Well, hey, here's one I'm sure we can agree on. The dead don't die. Terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Awful. Actually, I was really disappointed by this because I remember...
0: Oh, man, I read your old review and you're like, huh, in post-Trump's America, where can we...
1: Well, you know, I was sympathetic to what he was trying to do when I saw it the first time. What
0: he's trying to do, you mean sitting back in a director's chair counting his, like, stack of money and going, yeah, action.
1: I mean, it's, okay, so The Dead Don't Die, I mean, we're going way Way, way forward. I watched
0: Ghost Dog, great movie, love it. Love Ghost Dog. Yeah, yeah. really good. That's an interesting film because he always, I mean, he does it with Dead Man, where he kind of creates episodic things with, like, many characters, Mm -hmm. and, like, Ghost Dog, it is that way as well, but, like, Forrest Whitaker is such a central point of that film Mm -hmm. that you can, even Johnny Depp gets kind of lost in Dead Man because there's so much stuff going on around, and he's a cipher, and the ghost dog character is never a cipher
1: in that film that he's very concrete i love patterson too yeah patterson's very good very beautiful like and and articulation of of his philosophy yeah
0: but it's also almost antithetical to what he's done before where he's made movies about kind of slackers or people lost in the world and or stumbling through it and then you have patterson someone very focused in what he's doing a
1: a person of a very orderly like normal quote-unquote life yeah who does art for himself which is like the evolution of the guy who made stranger than paradise like (laughs) getting to that point yeah i guess so i mean like you you get older like he's not the guy who you know is in the no wave scene anymore no. he's like he's you know probably more than an upper middle class man <laughs> uh, By yeah. now, i, I think have, he's much higher than <laughs> upper middle class i would imagine and i'm sure he has a very orderly life where you know he makes his art and uh, so do you think after patterson he's like yeah we just make art for art that's why we do it here you go the dead don't die <laughs> so the dead don't die i think is i mean i, I i'm sure Jarmish has good stuff left in him but th- there's something in here it's like very scary about like what happens when someone gets old yeah maybe he just wanted to hang out with his friends and ha- have a laugh i do think he's trying to go for a particular tone that maybe a younger person would have been able to get like like what stranger than paradise accomplishes the tone that it gets is seems simple but it's not mm-hmm. that tone of like not that much happening but conveying yeah. a lot And this movie, not that much happens, and it conveys very little.
0: I feel that the issue with this film is that Jim is not aware that these kind of films have existed for 15 years,
1: and that anyone who watches these has seen this movie a million times. Or he's... So aware that he thinks just doing it is his own satirical I will gesture.
0: say, speaking of famous people, a, a smile came on my face when Larry Fessenden showed oh, up. Yeah, I, I to knew me kill my zombies. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, so the plot of this one, and this one came out in I think 2019. So height of the Trump era, mm-hmm. and that's very important yeah. to say. It's set in a small town where we find out on the news that the Earth has come off its axis some ecological it's it's environmental stuff folks it's global warming it's et cetera et cetera it's uh, we've been bad to the planet it's come off its axis and that has led to unimaginable environmental devastation that has led to zombies to be resurrected mm. now are the zombies mega Possibly Mm. early on and I really groaned when this came on (laughs) they show up with MAGA gear on when Steve Buscemi shows up with a red hat That says make America white again. I thought oh my god (laughs) (laughs) How old are you?
0: (laughs) Hey, we're missing something very important about this film looks like shit.
1: Oh my god. (laughs) Coming after Dead Man, which looks incredible.
0: Well, it didn't come after Dead Man. After Sorry, you watched Dead Man. right
1: after I watched Dead Man.
0: Yeah. And this is a cinematographer of Blue Velvet as well shooting it. He also shot Patterson, which is a, a good looking movie. But man, digital hit
1: hard. <laughs> I mean, God.
0: He's like, I was really going for that look of something you'd see at a local horror. Looks like film a festival. David <laughs> Dakota film. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so you've got, you know, three police officers from the town Bill Murray let's get rid of him by the way i'm tired of him
0: Ugh, bill murray giving as little effort as possible yeah
1: i mean his whole thing that he started doing of like not doing anything like i think all the juice has been wrung out of that at yeah. this point adam driver and chloe 70 yeah yeah, the yeah the chloe
0: 70 and steve buscemi shows up danny glover's but it's there, like there too are
1: these, there are these three <laughs> cops who are sort of like affectless in the face of this zombie uprising and there's a rogues gallery of like disaster movie characters none of whom are particularly funny or have much pop There's Tilda Swinton doing her like what the hell is with that? (laughs) I don't know. Her samurai shit. Oh, that was so lame. (laughs) It's so lame. lame. (laughs) And and most annoying of all, there are some kids at a facility. Oh yeah, and yeah. And maybe yeah. they'll, maybe the children will save us. Yeah, so lame.
0: You didn't like the scene where it's like, oh Nosferatu, you must be a cinephile. <laughs> oh yeah, God. But what if it's all a put on? Will it's on purpose, all of it? The ugly digital cinematography, the fact that it's lame and not fun. <laughs> well, when I saw it the first time,
1: yeah, and that was when I was being very generous to the movie. <laughs> yes, I thought. Well, maybe that is the point. Maybe that's fine. I was
0: reading one letterbox review that's like, it's like his scary movie. I was like, slow down. <laughs> scary movie has <laughs> jokes.
1: Yeah. It's like, there's so, there's so little. like, if the point of the movie is that, oh, it's the Trump era and everything's shit. So why even try? Yeah. Then I'm sorry. D minus. <laughs>
0: yes, absolutely. <laughs> you, fail, you didn't do very well
1: on your assignment. <laughs> mm.
0: And, but you know what? The movie's out there and it's at, to this day, the last feature film that he made. You gotta give us one more, I man. Sh- I hope so. I hope so. I remember when that. Remember when he made Broken Flowers, another coffee and cigarette film. Yeah. disappointing people across the land. Oh, the not people, knowing what they the were people getting who into. Thought they
1: were getting a Bill Murray movie. Yes. Yeah there were definitely there were people at my high school who saw broken flowers that in, opened really wide they, yeah. they were like nothing happened in it <laughs> yeah
0: <it's> like, gotcha <laughs> jim's laughing all the way to the bank oh yeah yeah mr <laughs> all Mo- <that> sweet <laughs> mr money, money banks <laughs> <laughs> hey man i just saw he's he did like a it looks like a, a saint laurent ad, so he's good <laughs> like a nine minute good for commercial
1: for them but but look even the dead don't die which i don't care for mm. it's like i You're i see i see the muse yeah. and like i think he's stayed true to his muse and i think and like even the dead don't die is a conscious attempt to sort of not deliver on the terms of what he regards as like a corrupt entertainment system mm-hmm. and i can respect that to a point yeah and i respect the whole career for everything <laughs> it's given me
0: i would have loved if he had made like like a Porky
1: sequel. Like, what would his Porky sequel look like? Probably, yeah, John Lurie sitting in
0: a <laughs> in a change oh, room. Probably the most exciting thing, eventful that happened this week as I explored Jim's filmography is reading that New Yorker article about John Lurie from 2010. Have you read no, that? No, I didn't see that. Oh man, where it's like, where's John Lurie been? Well, one of his friends stalked him for years and he went around the world and yeah, not yeah. a good time. Have you ever seen Fishing
1: with John? Oh yeah,
0: very funny. Oh, that man. was a bootleg staple at eyesore cinema <laughs> so william defoe and john lurie died <laughs> while they were fishing. one of the
1: hardest i've ever laughed at anything oh that that, 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 that punchline, goddamn! so as per usual you can
0: send us letters at important cinema club podcast at gmail.com oh boy
1: letters i love them
0: <laughs> you love them it makes you feel alive hey justin and will as always, thanks for the eternal gift. First off, just wonder if you could give us some insight into how the ICC sausage gets made when it comes to picking episodes. You always talk about adding potential subjects to the list. How long is this list running now, and how do you pick from it? Mostly vibe-based, I assume. Correct. Yes, vibe-based. <laughs> you, do, you have a list. Can you I speak do. to that? I actually, I was looking at it today, and I haven't touched it in a while because essentially what happens is me or Will will see something, and that will trigger and we'll be like, oh, that's what we want to do. I have tried many years ago to be like, let's plan out a month. Doesn't work. Because I feel, both of us feel too pressured. And we're like, I'll get to it later. Oh, no, it's time. Now i got to watch it as quickly as possible.
1: Well, sometimes. I mean, recently we had a run of, you know, Big Denver. Oh, uh, yeah, that was What, was, what was November? <laughs> International November? Yeah, whatever? yeah, yeah. Where we yeah.
0: saw stuff that we don't usually talk about. So but,
1: we have done it a few times. But, but often it's vibe-based. Often it's like... Like, well, we've done this kind of thing. Maybe it's time to do this kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I think that's
0: what directs us most of all. And then we'll be like, oh, like the subject that we're talking about next week it was decided because will said oh i just saw this movie yesterday why don't we do this filmmaker and i went all right sounds yeah. good yeah i don't think we've been like no i don't want to do that filmmaker no
1: and if we have it's only been because the movies are too long too long that's literally the <laughs> only reason
0: but yeah as we already said it's mostly decided. and i'll look at the list and be like what would fit like you know we did this so we should do Some, something sometimes a bit it'll different. be
1: like we haven't done classic hollywood in a while mm-hmm. or like we have to do a popular one
0: yes get those clicks in so we gotta do that and then the letter continues secondly my prerequisite suggestion for an episode topic if you guys are in the mood to do an actor episode again you should do Walter Mathau. he's an object of obsession for both me and my partner I've even toyed with the idea of editing a faux academic zine about him a la Will's Journal of can't say the word studies I think his long career is ripe for discussion as he is one of the most interesting faces ever to become a Hollywood leading man. Also, give or take a Billy Wilder or Elaine May, he did a lot of work with non-auteurs. And by that, he means hacks and journeymans. (laughs) So unless you plan to do Gene Sachs, Herbert Ross, or Howard Deutsch episode at some point, there shouldn't be much overlap with future topics. All the best, Quinn. (laughs)
1: yeah i mean i love walter i Matt love now. walter Mastow. he rules uh, you know he's maybe underrated if anything you think so yeah maybe because like he honestly has like an incredible i think he's like actually a great actor like mm. taking a pelham 123 charlie varick i mean in the popular imagination for so long he was kind of defined by those later movies with jack lemon you know grumpy old yeah. man and all that. that he's known as like the
0: old old guy
1: Yeah, but, oh, God, a new leaf. I mean, he actually has an amazing filmography. I mean, yeah,
0: added him to the list. I I, feel that would be a really fun one to do. Yeah, I'd love to do that. We don't do enough actors, mostly because it's hard to talk about them, even though they offer the most opportunity to do different films
1: to talk about. Yeah, I mean, the thing with directors is you can talk about, like, themes and preoccupations Mm. across a long career, which isn't, you know, unless you're talking (laughs) about, like, A very small number of actors, like a Brando or a Nicolas Cage.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Brando, he has a very interesting career as well, but I don't think he was guided by his muse the Uh, entire
1: time. For the first five years. Five years, yeah. Yeah.
0: And, you know, we could do someone like Michael Caine. Michael (laughs) Caine. I love the house that the Jaws the Revenge Money bought. So thank you very much for that letter. We have another one here from Michael, and he goes, Hey, Justin Will. I just saw The Iron Claw, which I thought was pretty good, and it got me thinking about the wrestler-turn-actor phenomenon. I feel like we've seen a shift in the perception surrounding wrestlers in Hollywood. In the past, it seemed like wrestlers were relegated to absurd meathead side characters like Andre the Giant in Princess Bride, Alex Karras in Blazing Saddles, or even... Cola Quariani and Stanley Kubrick's The Killing. Ooh, that's a deep cut. Mm-hmm. We're now at a place... George Johnson. George <laughs> <laughs> We're now at a place where people like Dwayne Johnson and Dave Bautista are some of Hollywood's biggest stars. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the shift, maybe in a Patreon episode, especially regarding some of the films that came out in the middle of these two periods that were trying to legitimize wrestlers as actors that ended up with hilariously stupid results. For example, the bizarre 90s Hulk Hogan comedy Mr. Nanny. Thanks for doing what you do you make me proud to be a canadian film nerd michael
1: Man, Hulk Hogan. Now there's an episode topic. Oh, boy. His movies are all Problem is, there's, bad. No, there's
0: no good one. No, there's no good Hulk Hogan starring Didn't film. you
1: just watch Three Ninjas, High Noon, at Mega Mountain?
0: Yeah, and Hulk Hogan is barely in that. You know, you look at that poster, it looks like he's the villain. He's not. He's the hero in the movie who barely appears because he probably shot only two days. Yeah, I've seen a lot of Hulk Hogan films. I find him an amusing screen presence. It'd be more fun to talk about his personal life, which is terrifying <laughs> like all the stuff that he's done bad man bad man uh yeah. who ate too much sushi yeah well Wait, um, you don't know what uh, i'm referencing you? Uh, no,
1: no i actually do i was just thinking about how much i need to separate the artist from the artist i watch <laughs> thunder and paradise why don't
0: we just do the barbarian brothers instead yeah yeah
1: but the shift in perception i mean i'm sure things are things are cyclical things are backlashes to backlashes i mean like you know Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger were kind of like symbolic of a kind of like meathead yeah testosterone yeah. steroidal action star and then and then there was a sort of like like Matt Damon born identity mm-hmm. sort of thing. Like
0: And then we need to get back to the meatheads. Yeah. Where do we get them? Oh, they're wrestlers because we want to invest in an IP that already exists and not give a chance to an Australian bodybuilder.
1: In fairness to Dwayne The Rock Johnson, I mean he <laughs> did he did like work at his craft pretty hard, I think. Yes. And he was like And of,
0: now he's here to
1: sell you a new credit card that gives shit. less interest payments. But like he's very like or he can be very likable on screen. I,
0: I mean, mean, yeah, you know. I love The Rock when he first started getting the movies and it's it's funny to call him an underdog when he's literally one of the biggest wrestling stars at the time, but like people were like, ah, but, like, looking their nose down at, at, at him when he was acting and stuff like, is it Faster was one of his films? Or Walking Tall. Walking Tall. Yeah. I, I, I think he won me over with The Rundown, where that's thin hair rock, and now he is plan selling you uh, tequila, credit cards. Listen, we're riding
1: the Black Adam train.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if The Rock would like to be on the podcast, we'd love to have him. I'd
1: love him to be my friend. I sure. remember a wrestler once saying, "He's like,
0: yeah, The Rock doesn't do stuff like that. No. That like he's a company man, and that the only personality he, you will see more out of him
1: brand than man. Yeah, he yeah. is. Um, <laughs> like
0: that's all he is. And it's remember that article that came out that was like a day with The Rock, and he has like. A like perfect memory that he'll remember like everyone's faces and names and be like, Oh, it's your son's birthday, right? Even though he met that person like five years ago, he's trained himself, yes.
1: And and why is he such a big star now? It's because we are living in Southland Tales now, mm-hmm. so of course, he's the biggest movie star.
0: Well, I feel is he, I don't think he's the biggest movie star anymore, probably not anymore, but for a minute, he probably was. He was, and I think that he did the classic mistake of he wanted to be everything to everyone yep. and you can't you can't the rock you can't you got to be a walter Matthau. that's how and he even came out publicly and he's like i'm you know i'm switching sides i'm making a movie with a safty brother
1: yeah yeah he wants to make an art movie now after yeah. the black adam thing the fiasco
0: it's, which it's- made money it made money, okay, guys? <laughs> I
1: have the papers right here. <laughs> I thought it was sad how hurt he was by Southland Tales, the reception. He's yeah. talked in multiple interviews about... How, I think he's conscious of the fact it's had a bit of a reappraisal. Yeah. Oh, do you think he, he is? He's posted about it. He, oh, wow. He, I think he posted like some article that was like a revisionist take on it where he was like, oh, you know, uh, really hurt at the time. Was the he was talking about well, it? Well, his secretary posted oh, yeah, it or yeah, whatever, yeah, 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 but, yeah. but he sees everything that goes out. Oh, yeah. But no, he did that interview where he was like, Southland Tales hurt... You know, oh, I remember! Uh, the, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: He's like, we're on the on the red carpet at Cannes Film Festival, and you know they hate it already. And, and it was, still it was walk the down.
1: one time he tried to do something like that.
0: I would say. Pain and gain was him trying to do oh, something. That's, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean it was a Michael Bay movie. It was, but it was Michael Bay like trying something different, mm-hmm. and he played a weird character. He has not and the, oh, I remember the awful movie. What was it? It was Get Cool. Oh, Be Cool. Be cool.
1: He was in a bit of a slump at that point. Yeah, I but think. he was yeah. the
0: most fun thing in yeah. that. Like he played a very flamboyant, I believe, character in that film. He did a lot of dancing. That's a that's a
1: one way to put yeah, it. Flamboyant. My, yeah. yeah. And that uh, I remember he's the thing that popped from that, and people liked him from that. Oh, I just remember he was supposed to be in robert altman's last movie but altman died he really? was going to be in the cast of his feature film adaptation of hands on a hard body
0: but oh which, how has no one made a fictional version of who do you uh, played? what do you play like one of the guys one of the there? guys
1: with his hand on the car i guess yeah i mean yeah.
0: it's a robert altman film and that setup is to be like probably 30 characters that you follow throughout the movie yeah I would, I would have loved to see that. And then, what if they had started shooting? And remember, like Paul Thomas Anderson was like, and if Paul Thomas Anderson started directing, hands on, or finished it for Altman, yeah, would we have a different Dwayne the Rock Johnson career? Probably not. No, but like you watch something like Red Notice, and you're like, that is the, this is a nothing movie. Yeah, like you got to (laughs) move.
1: well the fact that Black Adam was like his passion project I think really says something about him <laughs>
0: yeah mean, that he, but like how much success do you need man like yeah I remember a video where he's like I just got my mom a car and the mom was like crying and I was like you're The Rock you could buy your mom a hundred cars <laughs> like what are you <laughs> well what is this this is such a false video what are you doing anyway
1: I hope that his current like career panics lead him into some good movies mm-hmm. I mean the Safdie brother I don't remember which one it is probably making a movie the one with, who's not the actor mm-hmm. whichever f- one that is <laughs>
0: yes i look forward to whatever they come up with I th- but it's still about like a is it like an mma fighter or something like that that he's gonna be I don't playing know. Don't know. i want to see him play like a real weirdo again like not a fighter or a
1: boxer or sports figure like give me some weird rock that's what i want it's too bad that you know woody allen's canceled because i'd love to see him <laughs> as the woody surrogate
0: yeah <laughs> you know my analyst was a
1: strict freudian <laughs> And he's just sweating the entire time. There's an old joke. Two women at a Catskills Mountain Resort say the food here is terrible. Yeah, and such small portions. Well, that's how I feel about relationships. <laughs>
0: and then <laughs> I like how you started that way. It's a shame Woody got cancelled. Oh, Not that Woody did bad stuff. Yeah, 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 It's a shame that Woody is a bad man and he can't keep making movies. <laughs> yeah, wait, what other filmmaker
1: could you pair with the rock? Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh man, this is a fun game. Uh, Who even are the filmmakers? Yeah, uh, like the big Well, Jim Jarmish. Yeah, I <laughs> Let's see him make something with the rock. Oh, the Let's de- see him get that stillness in the rock. That dead don't die too. No. I I, I, I there needs to be some intensity there I know. Though. I know, Simon Lang. <laughs> I want to see the rock like, like sitting in a chair for 10 minutes. Like like walking in yeah. slow motion. And I think I think that would be a real challenge for the rock. I think the rock would feel very vulnerable if he did that. Yes, that he, and he that's could why, do it. That's why like would he break into tears halfway through that 10 minute shot?
0: Because he he he's not presenting himself. He's not yeah.
1: I I would love Let's get Warhol back from the grave and do a screen <laughs> test. All right. Well, thank
0: you very much for that letter. And what are we doing on a Patreon
1: this week, Will? It is our monthly episode of things we've been seeing this month. Mm-hmm. So we talk about everything from the German silent version of Othello to <laughs> I like how you start with
0: that. It's like yeah, this is what people want to hear about.
1: Yeah, that's right. Emil Jannings or Jannings or whoever you pronounce him, you know, good the, friend of the, the Fuhrer yeah, himself, yeah, Hitler's friend Emil as Othello, uh, the beekeeper. We talked about beekeeper. the beekeeper.
0: One of us went to go see the Looney Tunes with an orchestra behind it. Yeah, talk about that. All so, sorts of things. Check it out at Patreon.com/slash/the
1: Important Cinema Club. And next week, what are we doing, Will? Well, we're talking about a filmmaker who I actually know very little about, and I think probably you know very little about too
0: uh, yeah i gotta stretch for this <laughs> I gotta get ready there's gonna be
1: some stretching yeah and listeners if you do know about her then i i'm sorry for insulting you like that yeah but it's valley export she is an austrian filmmaker really more an artist more more in the gallery space but she made a lot of short films as well as two features The Practice of Love from 1985 and Invisible Adversaries from 1977. I just saw Invisible Adversaries at Stephen Broomer's Ad Hoc series which is a great experimental film series here in town and I really liked it. A very strange very abrasive film that kind of, it's like uh, experimental film that brings in some sci-fi elements and really really assaults the audience Mm. at times. Did you see it on
0: film? Because he usually shows his stuff on film. Sadly not on Uh, film. Um, I mean he does his best like yeah and he does that if you live in toronto like it's free and steven does it almost every week i think oh yeah
1: yeah it's it's well worth looking into but yeah this is a filmmaker who i think based on what i've seen is right for rediscovery Mm -hmm. so let's learn about her let's go into the deep end of the pool
0: and what's her name again for people that may not have written it down valley export all right so that's what we'll be doing next week and until then my name's justin a i'm will sloan thanks for listening As per usual, I'd like to thank some of our new patrons who include Kemble McClure, Turbo Snore, BK, Juan Matawa, Jeremy Singsong, Jake, Alex Cameron, John W., Mike, Alex Jason, Spike Pinch, George Johnson, Tommy Scarpinato, Anthony Leon, and Mark Catapano. Thank you very much for doing this. We could not keep doing it without you. It's the weekend of the big game. Actually, I think it may have passed by the time people are listening to this. But the Super Bowl, which means commercials, and I mean, you're really excited for insert team name
1: here versus. Excuse me, is there a sports ball on? <laughs>
0: yes. But you, uh, all the new ads for the big movies, crickets. Es- so, <laughs> crickets. So
1: imagine me last year, refreshing the page, waiting for an ad for the oh, flash. The flash. <laughs> I remember. Because I'm so excited to see Michael Keaton as Batman. <laughs>
0: But you knew what it was. You can go through our back catalog and I'm like, "Why are you doing this?" I think this within yourself seconds I
1: sent you a screenshot yeah. of him in the bat suit like they drove a dump truck full of money to <laughs> yeah, my house.
0: Yeah. I just showed some of the ads have already been released by the time we're recording this. And a friend of mine sent me this Paramount streaming ad where it's like all your favorite Paramount stars. And this is how we know we're not in a monoculture anymore, right? Because <laughs> so the lineup of all these actors who were clearly all shooting at the same time. Oh, yeah, definitely. You, you have Hey Arnold, who's animated. Hey, hey
1: Arnold, your favorite <laughs> cartoon character, Hey Arnold.
0: Master Chief from Halo, a TV show that no one watched. Uh, Drew Barrymore from, we'll think it's just the Drew the, Barrymore. Just the Drew Barrymore show, her talk show. Is it a Paramount show? I wouldn't know. Oh, Thomas Lennon from Reno 911. Is that... Successful enough these days that obviously the metrics say yeah.
1: Knuckles from Sonic just kind
0: of standing there not saying very much. And
1: there's some weird kind of like Tim and Eric humor, like sub 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 Tim and Eric humor to be clear, where like Patrick Stewart throws Arnold like a football. So
0: Patrick Stewart, like he's not playing his character from Star Trek. Star Trek. He's just patrick stewart in this context yeah unless there's a new show where he's a football guy that i haven't seen
1: yeah so they're all yeah they're all in the arctic somewhere i don't know i didn't i did this is one of those things where like well you looked at it and you went i don't even know what this is an ad for who are these characters yeah and why are they together
0: yeah. why arnold from hey arnold wait hey look this is just a taste of the man who loves the chimichangas, what he's going to bring us, was Deadpool 3, when all of, you know I wonder if there'll be a Deadpool 3 ad at the Super Bowl.
1: Okay, I'm going to search <laughs> Super Bowl what ads? movies will be in the Super Bowl commercials. Okay, yeah. we're searching it right now. These are the movies, oh, sorry, wait, this is last year. So <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy, The Flash, Fast X. <laughs> okay, Super Bowl 2024.
0: Wait, I'm looking, I was like, wait, did the Super Bowl pass and I missed it? No, no. There's a list of every big game ad. Well, you don't know. You don't know what's going to come. Arnold
1: Schwarzenegger, Tom Brady featured in long list of teases for big game ads. Uh, Oh, my goodness. Yeah, but they're not going to be advertising a movie. They're going to be advertising Uh, a... There's going to be Chris Pratt and Pringles, the Beckhams and Uber Eats, Jenna Ortega and Doritos. (laughs) Okay, you know what? (laughs)
0: Jenna Ortega hasn't eaten a Dorito. (laughs) You
1: know what? Maybe Bill Hicks had a point that (laughs) that, like if you do a commercial, you should be killed or whatever his joke was i like chris pratt jenna ortega fuck you if you're listening don't don't do a doritos commercial (laughs) what are you doing you have enough money jenna ortega or like chris pratt doing a pringles commercial fuck you chris pratt what is this what
0: is this unless he gives the money to us
1: okay wait so i'm on comicbook.com super bowl 2024 what trailers to expect okay there there won't be too many so deadpool 3 <laughs> oh, so there will be deadpool 3 Probably. i hope
0: he's gonna meet gandalf
1: you know i think i think he's gonna uh, yeah you maybe take the piss he's, out he's of a little it? irreverent you yeah. know ghostbusters frozen empire oh my god did you watch the trailer for that <laughs> yeah yeah it
0: is like i it's so sad that it's like remember this hey look it's the library ghost you can do anything you can do
1: anything you know, it's like how many times do we have to wheel out Bill Murray and put him in that suit yeah like like what will satisfy you people nothing
0: like, like slimer shows up at the end I don't want him get him out of here like
1: how about if, if you like the old movie, just watch the old movie again. Yes. You've had enough chances to nostalgically reconnect with these mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Okay. Godzilla versus Kong. Look, I'm not made of stone. No, I kind of want to see Godzilla. Written over... by friend of the podcast, Simon Barrett. S- Simon Barrett. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, you know, he's a uh, cool guy. <laughs> cool guy who blurbed uh, our book. He did. So, yeah. Uh, well,
0: one of the writers, I think they had a writer's room on that movie. So yeah. Uh, but so hey, if we don't like it, we can be like, I'm sure they cut all of Simon's parts out of the movie. That that's right. Yeah. That's right.
1: Will I ever criticize anybody who's ever praised me no, no never no. but hey john krasinski hasn't praised me we got potentially <laughs> wait
0: a- is that the one i just it's like from the twisted mind of john krasinski
1: there's that as well as a quiet place day one i don't think he had
0: anything to do with that one oh, did he okay. yeah oh i'm thinking is it what, what, what was it called the imaginary
1: friend movie that john krasinski yeah the one the one where it's various non-name yeah, brand yeah, yeah, characters so despicable me 4 inside out 2 ugh. oh twisters plural No, i'm there for that oh joker folly Duh. <laughs> finally there's a uh, son of the hedgehog 3 not featuring jim carrey who's no. off on a spiritual retreat somewhere mm. he's ascended above cinema <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. there is no me but anymore will my
0: paramount plus friend knuckles be there yeah
1: yeah and sonic the hedgehog he has guns he better have guns in this movie yeah
0: so these are
1: some of the movies that you might be god just
0: death yeah oh man i watched the first 15 minutes of the marvels i I was like i don't know what's going on i felt like a hundred year old man yeah i was like done this is
1: not a movie it's interesting because the marvel movies i mean even the detractors would typically say the quality control was high Mm -hmm. like uh, up until Avengers Endgame, there was a pretty consistent, like, like, yeah, you know, thing that they did. And now it seems to have fallen apart. Yeah, they spread themselves too thin. That's what happened. Yeah. They had yeah.
0: too many TV shows, they, et cetera, et cetera. And, like, you watch this movie and you're like, it's barely a TV show, like, yeah. edited together from multiple episodes. And, you know, someone who loved those movies when they were coming out, yeah, no thank you. Get this out of here. So, let's... by that I mean, bring back Iron Man and
1: Captain yeah, America. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, I don't want that either. Just. Close up shop. No more. So no lots, more
1: superheroes. lots to look forward to at the Super Bowl, which has probably passed by the time you're hearing this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So go, go Bulls. I don't know. <laughs>
0: what team is Ken Marino
1: on? The Dolphins. The Dolphins. They're at the Super Bowl, yeah. right? I hope
0: that Ace can save Let's the
1: Dolphin. I, if yeah, if Snowflake isn't on the field. <laughs>